uh, where we left off was actually that now David has become king. He's become king of just Judah. And the other 11 tribes, the, 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 they're still loyal now to a son of Saul named Ishbosheth. His name means the man of shame. Of course, David's name means beloved. So which king should be king? Well, we know from the divine order that David is the one that's supposed to be king. So today we are in 2 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to pick up with verse 12. So go ahead and turn there. David is the one that should be king. He's the one that's got the word of the Lord. He's the one that has been anointed by the prophet Samuel. He's the one who even the king Saul, who was trying to take his life, knew he was the one that should be king. He admitted it. Everybody knows this, but Abner, who was the captain of the host of Israel, the main general underneath Saul, he does not want to accept this, and he has propped up the weak son of Saul as the next king. And so where we left off is we've got a divided kingdom. Now, technically, there was a civil war in the land of Israel at the end of the book of Judges, where the tribe of Benjamin was, was the only tribe. They were doing wickedness, and the, the other 11 tribes go to war with Benjamin, they even made it so that they wouldn't even marry their, their, their daughters to any man of Benjamin. That, that was the first civil war in Israel. Now we come to the second civil war. We're going to be talking about civil war today. We haven't had a civil war since the 1860s. And we could say, that's pretty good. As nations go, I got to be honest with you, that's, that's pretty good. We have the longest functioning constitution in the history of the world here in the United States. We had some things that were definitely wrong with slavery, should have never happened, but it did. But thank God that we put an end to that. And it took the lives of 650 to 700,000 Americans that died to make that right. Do, do we still have issues in our, in our uh, nation in way of sin and evil? Yes, we do. But we're trying to make a more perfect union. That doesn't mean that we get it all right. There's a lot of things we're doing right now. We are, we are far worse than where we were even at the Civil War. But we're talking about civil war today. I want you to think about civil war as just let that kind of settle into your soul because that's what's going on in the text. Nobody likes civil war. It's like, wait a minute, why would we do that? Could you imagine Americans today killing other Americans? It's hard to believe, hard to think about, but I've always thought since I was a kid, and maybe you think, well, you're just a pessimist. Maybe, maybe you think that. My whole life, I thought, I'll probably live to see a civil war in America. I don't want that to be the case. But what did Abraham Lincoln say? He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Where did he get that from? The Bible. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he gets credit for a quote he did not say first. Right? But a house divided against itself cannot stand. There are times of civil war. We're going to look at what led to this. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Now Abner, the son of Ner, went out from Mahanim to Gibeon with the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. That's the king of the north. 
And Joab, the son of Zeruah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. There's like this showdown that happens. Now, I love it when archaeology proves the Bible to be accurate. So watch this. I'm going to show you a picture. Can we show that picture? No worries. No worries. So this was excavated by an American archaeologist. This is the Pool of Gibeon in 1956. Exactly where the Bible said it was is exactly where they found it. And this is a cistern, a pool that was, this goes down deep. And I want you to see it because that, it, it goes down much deeper than these people are walking down. This, when they excavated, it was full of, 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 of rock and debris. And as soon as they got the rock and debris out of the way, what do you suppose started flowing? The water, right? And this, this dates from the 10th century, which is exactly where it should be archaeologically. By, this was done by a man named J.B. Pritchard. American archaeologist. So you see the cistern, it goes down into the ground some, some 30 to 45 feet. It's deep. But this was an arena. That's what it served as. So here's Abner. He's got his men on one side of this pool. And Joab comes and brings his men of David. He brings him up. Now who's Joab? Joab is one of three sons of Zeruah, Zeruah and, and that is an abnormal thing because this is actually not a man, Zeruah, it's a woman. And it happens to be David's sister. Now David's the youngest of his brothers. And so you can imagine that he has probably nephews and nieces that are his age. Joab his brother Abishai and, his, and the youngest one, Asahel, are all the nephews of David. And they are amongst what you call his mighty men of valor. They're, they're listed at the end of 2 Samuel. We'll see them later. But these guys were great warriors. So what Joab does is he says, hey, you got a king over here, Ishbosheth, the man of shame. He's a weakling. We don't want him to be our king. David is our king. And so he finds an area where he can show up to pick a fight with Abner. Now, Abner is a, a man, we're going to study him in, in the chapters to come. He is, he is a good man who made a poor decision, and he's trying to, trying to find himself. And we're going to see that he does indeed do that. But right now, he is operating on his pride. He wants his king. He is not willing to bow knee to David. And so Joab finds Abner and just parks himself on the other side of the pool. It's like a showdown. Then Abner says to Joab, Now let the young men arise and hold a contest before us. And Joab says, let them arise. Or in other portions of scripture, it says, now let's do it. I think Nike stole that from, from Joab, right? Just do it. He says, no, let them arise. So here's the question. They're going to have the, 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 um, the way this worked. Do you remember when David takes on Goliath? David became the champion of Israel. 
This was a divine contest. If David loses to Goliath, the Israelites are going to serve the Philistines. If Goliath, if Goliath loses to David, the Philistines are going to serve the Israelites. That's what's at stake. So in this situation, it's not a mano y mano. It's 12 verse 12. You give me your best 12. I'll take them against my best 12 and we'll set them aside. Let's do it. When Joab's on the other side of the cistern from Abner, he's picking a fight. We're here. We're ready to fight you. What are you going to do about it? And Abner goes, his pride is welling up inside of him. And he's like, oh, you came. All right, let's have a contest. But it's a bloody contest. Let's go. We'll put him in the cistern and we'll let him fight. And if your guys win, you, your, your king will be divinely picked. If our guys win, our king is divinely picked. Now, Joab does not have the authority to do this. He has not been, this, his king has not told him to do what he's doing. He's operating independently from his king. Woe to us when we operate with a different agenda than our king. But that's what he's doing. David did not take things by force when it came to the kingship. He let God do it for him. But now Joab is operating with a different agenda how many know that many times the people of God operate with a different agenda than our king? So now, verse 15, so they arose and they went over by count, 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 for the servants of David, and each one of them, they're all down in the pit. They're in the pool. And then it tells us what happened. Now you would expect that one side's going to come out on the other, you know, over the other side. You would expect this is going to, if this is supposed to divinely tell us who's supposed to be the king, we're going to know by the end of this. But look what happens. Verse 16, and each one of them seized his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, the place which was called, I'm going to butcher this. I'm just going to tell you what it means. It is called the field of sword edges. Can you imagine 12 verse 12 and every man is killed because they grab each other's head and stab each other in the side at the same time. Now that should tell you that God was working in the whole situation because that should not happen ordinarily. You would expect somebody to live. What you're getting is this contest is not going to be, divide, to, to be decided right now. By this method, this is going to, instead, there's going to be a prolonged civil war that God was permitting to take place. You would call this, you know how we get terminology sometimes? We get words and phrases this is a phrase. I think this is probably where we get the term a bloodbath. This is a bloodbath. And now nobody has decided anything. But when you see your brothers get killed in battle and you love those men, how many know that we don't just give up offenses easily? We take them upon ourselves and then it escalates from there. What was supposed to be 12 verse 12 turns in to a full-blown battle. Look at verse 17. And that day, the battle was very severe. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now, I want to talk to you about 
a principle of civil war, but then I want you to apply it to the church because I think that all of these stories for us, they have, this is history, but there's something that we're to gain out of the wisdom of the story. These are for our exhortation and being built up. You could say, this has nothing to do with us today. Oh, no, no, no. This has everything to do with us. First thing I want to say is, what happens, or civil war really happens, when the people of God, when they forget who their real enemy is? Why are brothers killing brothers? Why aren't they focused on the Philistines? Why aren't they focused on the Jebusites? Why aren't they getting rid of the occupying forces? No, instead they're going to fight amongst themselves. These are God's chosen people fighting against themselves. What happens? How do we get civil war? Well, brothers forget who the real enemy is. It's funny to me how much the Democrats and the Republicans and the independents all fight one another when we know we've got enemies growing all around this world. We don't seem to be concerned enough about what's happening on foreign fields. We had, a, uh, we had a, a base in Syria that they were launching rockets into. We're so busy fighting about stupid things, we don't even have our, a rocket shield up in Syria, and we are losing American soldiers. Then when we respond with, a, with, with, with an attack back, the enemy attacks again. Do you know what that tells me? They're not very scared of us. And you look at it and you go, does America realize that there are powers coming together against them right now? Are we too busy fighting one another within the nation that we're not concerned with what's happening that, that may potentially take us to a big old massive war that no one wants? Brothers are forgetting who the enemy is. But then it says that the servants of David really pour it on, and they are defeating the servants of Ishbosheth. Look in verse 18. Now the three sons of Zeruah were there. Joab, his name means praise Jehovah. It's probably a form of the word uh, of the name Job. Then his brother's name, his next is Abishai. Abishai means the gift of God. And finally, Asahel. And Asahel means God has created. Every name has to do with something of the Lord. I wonder if that good old mama of theirs really loved the Lord. But typically you would see that somebody is named after a father. To be named after a mother tells you that probably the father has died when the boys were younger. Now I'm one of three boys. I'm the youngest of three boys, which we're actually going to talk about one of the, the, the three boys, the, the youngest, makes a tragic mistake in this text. Let's look at it. It says that Azahel was swift-footed as of one of the gazelles which is in the field. He is athletic on a different level. He, Josephus writes a term about him. Uh, he's, he's, he's talking in hyperbole, but what he's, he said is, is this guy was faster than a horse. Now, do I really think he was faster than a horse? No, but that he's on a different level of fast. He is an athlete amongst athletes. 
And Asahel is the third brother. And I, as the third brother, I really connected to my oldest brother, Paul. And I, I remember wanting to be like him. What Paul said was important, my oldest brother said was important, that was important to me. If Paul walked a certain way and did things a certain way, I wanted to be like him. And so Joab is the oldest brother in this situation, and I think Joab is laying his agenda out, and Asahel is saying, your agenda is my agenda, brother. And while he is an incredible athlete, he is full of, you know, sometimes athletes can struggle with pride, can't they? And this young man has got a problem, in my opinion, with pride. Let's look and see what happens. So as they were sitting across from the pool, now it's gone in a way that's not good for, for uh, Abner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the north. So they start running. And now they're being pursued by David's men across the line. And so they're on the offensive. And who is running but old Abner? He's running. And Asahel pursued Abner and did not turn to the right or to the left from following after Abner. And Abner looked behind him and he said, is that you, Asahel? And he answered, it's I. So here's, here's the general who's running away and he's got this fleet-footed athlete young man on his tail. And he's, and he's trying to get away from him, but he can't. And the kid will not give up the pursuit. He just won't stop. He's relentless. Why? Because to kill a general is a big deal. He's going to get his armor. He's going to get his shield. He's going to get his weapons. And he's going to have renown. You were the man who killed Abner, the great general. You can imagine how that would affect a kid. How his pride would be on the line. And, and he would go, no, my brother does not like you, Abner. My brother says you have got to go and I'm going after you because I'm following my brother's agenda, not my king's. So he's pursuing him. And Abner, the old warrior says, is that you? Is that you? Hey, Asahel, is that you back there? And he goes, yep, that's me. And so Abner said to him, turn to your right or turn to your left and take hold of one of the young men for yourselves and take for yourself his spoil. But Asahel was not willing to turn aside from following him. And Abner repeated again to Asahel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How could I lift my face to your brother Joab? Now that, that tells me something. That tells me that Abner and Joab know one another. And it means that they have some sort of relationship. Yeah, they're on different sides of the, uh, of the battle here, but there was some level of respect between them. Kind of reminds me of our civil war when in the evenings, the generals and, and the officers who were at West Point together would come out after the battle was done to go and sit down with one another and to talk with one another. They knew each other. They were friends at one point. They're on different sides of the conflict now. He's saying, look, if I kill you, Asahel, if I kill you, how am I going to be able to look at your brother in the face? This is going to cause a big problem. And he's actually concerned about Joab. 
That's how I read the text. I mean, why, why, try to, why try to talk him out of it unless he's concerned about the ramifications of what's going to happen? How many have ever heard of the term blood feud? How many have ever heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys? You kill him, we kill this one of yours. You kill this one, we kill this one of yours. And that has happened throughout history. Blood feuds are real deals. When you look at the, Catholic, uh, the, the, the Catholics versus the Protestants in Ireland, you bomb one, we bomb another. Kill, 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 kill. And Abner has the presence of mind to say, we should not do this as a hell. Quit chasing me. I care about your brother. But he won't do it. He repeatedly asks him. However, verse 23, however, he refused to turn aside and therefore, well, let me illustrate this. David, Liddy, can you come up here real quick? I have specifically asked Dave not to banter with me since I know that he would do that. There's a spear right there. Would you get that spear? I didn't tell you I had props. Okay, so follow this. And by the way, if you don't know, Dave is an athlete. If Dave were running down, if he's Asahel, and, and I'm Abner, and I'm running away, okay? Right? I'm saying, Asahel, leave me alone, right? And he's not doing it. Here's the thing that you would expect Abner to do. He's going to turn around to fight Asahel. Now, there is no substitute for experience, Right? Why is it that so many NFL teams, once they get loaded up with veteran players who know how to play and they know what it's like to go to the playoffs and to win championships, they win more because there's no substitute for experience. And Abner's got that. But he does not turn the, the, the spear around to fight Asahel. Instead, as Asahel comes closer and closer, Abner instead is going to shove the butt end of the spear through Asahel. Now, come here. I want you to take that spear, fall on your knees, and hold it just like that. Okay? Let this leg or arm kind of, kind of come down. And he's pinned like this. This is all blood. Just stay there. Verse 23, therefore he refused to turn aside, but Abner therefore struck him in the belly with the butt end of the spear, and the spear came out at the back, and he fell there and died on that spot. And it came about when all who came by the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. This is not normal. There's no blood on this end except what's dripping out now. It's this that they are trying to explain. Why is the blood all over the butt end of the spear? How did that happen? And they're sitting there and his dead body is pinned like this. And they're just looking at it. They're standing still going, what happened here? And eventually, two older brothers have to come and see their brother. But Joab and Abishai, they came by, they stood still, they looked at this situation, they knew whose spirit was, it was Abner's. And they pursued Abner, 
Now we get the blood feud. And when the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Amah, which is in front of Gia, by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the sons of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became one band, and they stood on top of the certain hill. Thank you, Dave. Let's give it up for Dave. Thank you very much. You put that down. So now battle lines are drawn. Are these brothers going to let this go? No. This is an offense. It's personal. You killed my little brother. I used to uh, get in fights at school. Anybody get in fights? No, never? Maybe they don't allow that anymore. <laughs> we, used to, we used to settle things. We became friends after we settled it. We were fine. I remember this kid, Jimmy James, who was going to beat me up. He was one year older than me, but he was not much bigger than me. And I had two older brothers who picked on me all the time. I was sure I could beat Jimmy James. But my dad told me that I was never allowed to get in a fight without trying to talk the other person out of fighting. My dad's right over here. He said, I didn't send you to school to be a doormat. If somebody comes at you to hurt you, I do not, I, I expect that you can defend yourself. You have to have a witness and you have to do everything in your power to talk them out of the situation. They have to swing first. Once they swing, you're allowed to defend yourself. And I fully expect that you're going to win. So that was my mentality. So I was in the part of the negotiation where I'm trying to talk Jimmy James out of fighting me. And I said, Jimmy, Look, you don't want to do this. I said, if I can't beat you, which I think I can, but if I can't beat you, I have two older brothers at this school. One's a senior. The other's a sophomore. My one brother's name is Aaron. Do you know what Aaron means? A mountain of strength. Aaron was a mountain of strength. And Paul was fast as lightning. Were they going to let, now they could beat me up, but nobody else could beat me up. That's the kind of the rule amongst brothers. And Jimmy James thought about it and he said, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And we never got into a fight. <laughs> but once they saw Asahel pinned to the ground, humiliated, don't we have a, don't we have a term, a phrase that's called the butt end of a joke? I wonder if we get the butt end of the spear. Because it's a humiliation for this young man to be pinned backwards with the butt end of a spear. Humiliating. But these two brothers see it and they pursue him. I want to tell you how civil war, this is how we get into civil war. Number one, it was when brothers forget who the real enemy is. Number two, when kingdom matters give way to personal matters. What happens when we lose the focus of the king? We start turning it into our own personal agendas, vendettas. Who has to win? This is what matters to me. When the kingdom matters, give way to the personal matters. So now they're all lined up. Now Ab Abner has turned around to fight. And Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the end? 
He already didn't want to do what's happening. But Abner has the presence of mind to go, shouldn't we stop now? Can we stop now? How long will you refrain from telling the people to turn back from following their brothers? And Joab said, as God lives, if you had not spoken, surely then the people would have gone away in the morning, each from following his brother. So Joab blew the trumpet and all the people halted and pursued Israel no longer, nor did they continue to fight anymore. And Abner and his men then went through the Arabah all that night, and so they crossed the Jordan, walking all morning, and came to Mahanim. And Joab returned from following Abner, and then he had, uh, when he had gathered all the people together, 19 of David's servants beside Asahel were missing. But the servants of David had struck down many on Benjamin and Abner's men, so that 360 of them died. That is a massive discrepancy between those that died on David's side and those that die on, on Ishbosheth or Abner's side. You would look at that and you would go, only God could, could seem to do something like that until you... Folks, I'll tell you, if you haven't read David's Mighty Men, these men are amazing. You got one guy who kills 900 men with the spear. Like stories, like we look at them and we go, these are, these are, these are bad men. David had some very tough men on his side. And they were wiping out the other side. So you say, well, was it over after that? Couldn't the Civil War just end at that point? Well... We have civil war when we can't and we won't forgive one another. At a certain point, it's not, hey, I know you lost your brother and I know you guys lost 20 men. We lost 360 men. Can, can, can you forgive us and can we forgive you and just go our separate ways? No, because there's a vendetta in our heart. Revenge builds up inside of us. You know, I would love to say this just doesn't happen in the church, but it happens way too much in the church. Somebody hurt somebody, and I love that somebody, and now I can't work with that person. I can't be in the same campus as that person. I watch that stuff, and I'm like, that should not be amongst the people of God. And yet, how many times is revenge in our hearts? Pride. I won't forgive they started it. And you know what happens in civil wars? Lots of other people get hurt. Why? Because we share our offenses with others. We don't just keep them to ourselves. We don't just take them to the Lord and say, hey, God, can you show me how I can just change me so I can forgive this brother or sister who hurt me? No, no. We share our bitterness like a poison amongst God's people. Civil war happens when we can't and we won't forgive one another. And here's the thing. We all receive communion, do we not? And when we receive communion, are we not to think about who we're supposed to be forgiving? If you take communion, when you're staring in your face the blood that forgave you, we sang about it today that covers us, you'll accept the forgiveness of God, but you won't render it to another 
Freely you received it, but you won't freely give? Folks, that is not the heart of the king. Oh, lots of people now are dead. You know, many times when we get in an argument with people, we many times are thinking to ourselves about our own perspective. I sit down with mature brothers and sisters in Christ who can only see their own perspective. If Joab would have looked and heard, if, if he could have sat down with Abner and Abner said, Joab, listen, I killed your brother. I did that. I did not want to. Multiple times I asked him to quit pursuing me. And I literally told him because I was concerned it was going to mess up our friendship or our relationship and that we would never be able to look at each other in the face the same way again. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Joab, I did not want to do it. Could that have changed the way that Joab saw Abner? But they didn't sit down to have a conversation. The Bible says that what are we supposed to do? Come, let's reason together. Let's sit down with one another. Let's make it right. Let's talk it through. But we come to all these offenses with only our perspective. And we refuse to really listen to what was in the other person's heart. And when we think that we're really good at, at being able to, to, to know what's in someone's heart, just stop and think for, a, for just a second. Can we know what's in each other's heart? In the book of 1 Kings, it says, only God knows the hearts of the sons of men. And yet we're quick to say, you're a racist. You're a xenophobe. This is what's going on in your heart. Now, did Jesus know what was going on in their heart? Yes, He's God. But we will many times misjudge the motive of another person's heart. And if we could give them the benefit of the doubt, if we could say, will you share your perspective about what happened? Help me understand. Is it possible that we would be able to avoid civil wars in the church? And if we can't, as Christians, show that we can work things out, why would the world trust us? We have Christ. We have the wisdom and the spirit of God. If Christians can't get this right, why would the world look at us and think we have anything to offer them? We have civil war when we can't see an offense through any other perspective but our own. Then we just have a spiritual hat filled in McCoys. And ask the worship team to come. The final verse says that they took up Asahel and they buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. It would have been on the way from where they were to where they were going back to Hebron. Then Joab and his men went all night until the day dawned at Hebron. I think to myself, what a sad story. What a sad story when people don't have the heart of the king. But Jesus had 12 guys that didn't have his heart either. One time they come upon a city, a Samaritan city, and two of them say, should we call down fire on them? Let's call down fire. 
And he turns around and goes, you guys are the sons of thunder. And that wasn't like, he wasn't saying something nice to them. He was saying, you guys are just full of revenge and, and you're, you're just, all this stuff is battling inside of your heart. He goes, that's not my heart towards them at all. I haven't come to destroy them. We love to all quote John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But do you read the next verse? That God did not come into the world to condemn the world? but that the world through him might be saved. God's heart is not destruction and death. His heart is restoration, reconciliation, and life. And yet too many of us just don't have the heart of the king. We don't have his agenda. We don't go about things the way that he asks us to go about. And, and as a result, we get a big mess. Jesus was working on those men. At times he looked at him and he looked at his own disciples and he goes, geez, you guys are so full of pride. You guys are, are battling against each other. And, he, and he, he's like, how long am I going to be with you guys? How long? He's thinking in his head, I'm going to turn the church over to these 12 guys. And they have a lot of growth to do. I just want you to be honest with yourself today. Just, I'm going I'm to be honest with you. Not every thought I have, the, the first thought is usually the wrong one for me. I don't know if you feel that way. But how many of you would say, I got some growing to do in how I'm acting with fellow believers. I've got some civil war that's been going on in my heart because I haven't buried some things that need to be buried. I've got some forgiving to do. I've got some getting back on mission that needs to happen. Why am I majoring where the, that's not the enemy. They're not my enemy. The devil's my enemy, but I'm taking it to my friend for some reason, fellow brother, sister in Christ. If that's you today, the Holy Spirit loves you. He wants to tell you, I'm with you. And I want to deal with that today. Can we all bow our heads in this place? I want you to really kind of look at anyone who's hurt you deeply. And I ask that you would just in this moment before the Lord, just say, just choose. You have to choose it because you may not feel it. Feelings follow faith. So choose to forgive them. Say, Lord, I'm going to give them grace. They've hurt me. Yes, there's an offense. Yes, they've hurt somebody I loved, whatever, but I'm going to give that to the Lord. I'm giving it to you, Lord. You take this from me today.